Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp partying like it's 1999 in episode 99. Drove here in my 1999 forerunner and off of 99 days of quarantine from COVID. Okay, not 99, but we we just, my family just made it through with very minimal impact. Praise God. That's not been the, the story for a lot of people. But for us, it's been very minimal impact as COVID hit our oldest son very lightly. And me and my me and my wife and the rest of the family somehow made it out without getting COVID, which we could not socially distance. Our house is about the size of your living room, Bob. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so social distance is not an option in our house. But we made it. We survived. I'm now out of jail. I've taken four tests to to prove that I don't have the COVID cooties any at all. And so here we are. Do they know you by first name at the testing center at this point? <laughs> Not that that's just a about, good thing. Just about. Yeah. Although, yeah. man, we had our worst experience ever at one point. We went to the health department, waited in line for over three hours in Florida heat outside. One lady literally passed out from the heat. Like the ambulance came and I looked at Audrea and I said, I mean, that's one way to skip the line and get your test early, I guess. But. <laughs> I should be trying to get her to faint or something. <laughs> I'm with her. Test is both. I mean, we got to go to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're laughing about COVID, but man, it's, it's serious deal, Jimbo. I mean, you've got friends, you've had pastor friends and passed away and yeah. been in ICU and have long haulers, you know, symptoms and, I mean, it's, it's no joke. And I, I think what we're seeing, and maybe this is a future episode, we're seeing a lot of normative sized replants really are hit, been hit hard with COVID. And, uh, yeah. and so we, you know, I just want to say to our pastor friends out there and our associational leaders and our moms who are listening, and it's like, this is no joke and, and, and it's hard. And we, 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 we're concerned for you and we, we're praying for you. And, um, and so, man, get the help you need. Take a break. Yeah. You know, we've got COVID conflict in charge of the churches still again. We just, I think we all need to be sensitive to one another and, and care for one another in this really tender time. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been, it has taken a toll here in Florida. It really has gotten serious. I mean, I, I have several pastor friends right now at this moment that we record either in very critical condition or in the hospital or just coming out of the hospital and some may not make it out of the hospital. And so praying for uh, all those guys and really grateful that it was such a, a light impact for our family Yeah, and praying for so many right now. For episode 99 today, Bob, we one of our favorite things is when we are reached out to by some of our boot campers, our listeners, and we received a text message. And just so you know, listeners, that's one of the ways you can get us on our website. We've got a phone number there and you can reach us on that phone number. And so we got a text message on the boot camp bat phone. There you go. And it says this, Hey, replant team. I am, I'm a soon to be seminary graduate, moved my family from Louisville back, back to Alabama in search of a church revitalization I quickly found the sentiment regarding revitalization is not the same as it was in Louisville. I've attended a NAM revitalization event in Atlanta 
And I know about the idea of keep having the first conversation until they are ready to admit that they need to be revitalized. But I'm looking for a past or future podcast where you all might address the issues that keep churches from revitalizing in our context. And so this is something I have heard uh, from a lot of guys, Bob, is we are honestly seeing a bit of a movement happen and, and more and more people are feeling a call to church revitalization and replanting. But a difficult piece in this whole thing is getting a church to agree to submit itself to be revitalized or replanted. I, th- I would just venture a guess that maybe around Louisville, because it's around a seminary, you you can kind of sew a little bit of that in more into the culture of churches of, hey, we, we need to keep changing. We need to keep growing and keep adjusting. But man, deep in the Bible Belt, far away from the seminary, it, it is not easy. And, and really in, in other communities, in most communities, it is not easy to convince a church to go through what is necessary for revitalization or replanting. Absolutely. Most of the DOMs that I talk to here in our state, in Missouri, one of the first things they'll bring up is just denial, the sheer denial of the true condition of the church, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and so when a church is in denial, it, it obviously, it, it two things, it, it doesn't see itself accurately and it ignores reality in, in some ways, right? So those are kind of both the same, but they're a little different in that in that regard. So I, I think one of the struggles for most churches is really just kind of understanding how they're truly doing. And and so one of the things we do, Jimbo, and you've seen this, is we will go and do some survey questions and we'll ask churches questions we'll, about their condition, about you know their history. And if they filled out or kept track of their attendance in any shape or form, one of the things that we do is we'll chart that out and we'll put it in a visual graph that will actually kind of show them, right? Like, so mm-hmm. 10 years ago, here's where you were. Five years ago, here's where you are. And here's where we are presently, right? And most, for most churches, I would say 80% plus, there's a trend in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You don't stay on plateau forever and you lead towards decline. And so if there's a traumatic event like a split or a forced termination, some kind of crisis, you see a, a giant dip. But Oftentimes what will happen is the church will level out at some low point in attendance and they can stay there for a long time. And so for them, yeah, they go, they grow accustomed to it, right? It's kind of like the squeaky door, right? Mm-hmm. In our bedroom, our bedroom door, there's uh, it squeaks when we open it. And every time it squeaks, I think, man, I got to put some WD-40 on that, right? Like, And, and so, you know, because if I get up early in the morning, because I'm coming here to study or do some work or something like that in my study, the door will squeak and, you know, Barb will kind of wrestle and she'll ask me at breakfast, when are you going to put some WD-40 on it? And I just, oh, man, I, you know, I'll get around to it. <laughs> Churches are the same way. They just grow accustomed to their condition, right? And they just don't do anything about it. Yeah. I think churches just really do. Or here's what they do. They blame it on something else, right? Yeah. Their condition. It's not It's not their responsibility. It's something else. Yeah. Yeah. The, the community changed. They're no longer receptive to what we mm-hmm. do. They don't want to hear about Jesus. Mm-hmm. They we, We're preaching the gospel every Sunday, but the community just is, is not the same community anymore. And, and they're not open or receptive to us. I think another reason is they have made attempts prior to, that backfired. And I'm not saying that they made great attempts or strategic attempts, but they did things that they felt were going to do it, right? They 
They hired the young pastor with with six kids straight out of seminary, thinking, well, that means that we'll get young families and we'll get a children's ministry and all those things. And it didn't work out the way that they wanted. Or they hired the guy that said he knew how to do church revitalization. And he came in and he made changes way too fast and just made everybody mad. Or whatever, they tried this, whatever their network or denomination told them to do, and they tried some version of that, and, and it just didn't work in their mind. And so they go, well, we're not going to do any of that anymore. We've already tried all that, and so we're done. We're done trying. We're just going to preach the gospel, and we're just going to pray that Jesus comes back before we run out of money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, and if you think about it, a church that's been in decades of decline, trying themselves to figure out how to extricate themselves from that decline, or resisting somebody who's actually moving them forward out of that decline, it just, it, it's all too commonplace and it doesn't make sense, right? And so yeah. there's a strong, there's just this strong, you know, entrenched inertia that you have to overcome. And let's not discount the fact that it's a spiritual issue as well. Right. It's, it's really easy just to kind of grow comfortable. I can I can go to church and I can catch up on the gossip in my Sunday school class and somebody can read me the quarterly. And for those of you who don't know what a quarterly is, it's the Sunday school that comes out every the Sunday school lesson material that comes out every quarter. And in I would say a good number of churches, the teacher doesn't teach it. They just read it. Right. And so They read it and then ask the questions at the end. They don't teach the lesson. And so they read that and they show up to church and it's, you know, a couple of songs maybe special music if you go to that kind of church, which is the so- the solo before the sermon and offering and, and the sermon. And then, then the stare down, right? The invitation at the end of the service that nobody is ever going to come forward to. And so the pastor's down there while they're playing just as I am. And then it's a staring match. And, you know, everybody's just kind of not going to make eye contact with the pastor and they're going to try to wait him out. And he's going to hope he's only going to do two verses. And then it's go home, have roast and potatoes and fall asleep in the lazy boy recliner. Right. Man, that, man, that sounds like a good Sunday. <laughs> and I think that's the point, right? Is that we, we have created comfort zones for ourselves. And part of being internally minded is, is we've built a routine for ourselves that, that helps us feel connected to the Lord, connected to community. And, and here's the thing that we have to understand as revitalizers and replanters. What people are scared of is losing that. Mm-hmm. They're scared of the loss. They're, they're not necessarily scared of change. They're scared of loss. My One of my mentors that we brought on here early, Joe McKeever, told me years ago that there's a myth that old people are afraid of change. And he said, that's not true. If it were true, there'd be nothing but Studebakers in the parking lot. <laughs> he said, "People, old people aren't afraid of change. They are afraid of change they don't understand. And they're afraid of loss. And so part of what we've got to realize is when we come in talking about revitalization, replanting to a dying church, what they hear is everything I'm doing is wrong and you're going to change it all so that it's geared towards somebody else's preferences instead of mine. And it will no longer be a church I enjoy going to on Sunday mornings. And we can over-spiritualize our reaction or response to that kind of thing. But here's the deal. You get established in some routine for 40 years and see how you like when somebody comes in and tells you that it's wrong and tries to change all of it immediately. Growing up for Christmas always for me meant going to my grandmother's house in Arkansas. 
And I mean, no matter what, we never missed it. We drove through an ice storm to get there because we would never miss being at my grandmother's house on Christmas Day. And years ago, that house burned down and we ended up having to move the location to my uncle's house, which is a much larger house, the much larger living room, much better suited for as many people as we have gathering. And really, every reason, everything about moving the Christmas event to my uncle's house made strategic sense. Everything about it. But I hated it. I didn't want to be at my uncle's house, man. I wanted to be at my grandma's house. That's where I wanted to be because that's what Christmas Day meant to me was being there. And I think back on that often when I'm working with churches to go, I mean, I was a pretty young guy when that happened. I was in my 20s when that happened. And so it's not like I even had multiple, multiple decades of experience in that. But I had around 20-something years of memories of in one house and just changing that. Even though all the reasons made sense, every we sh- we probably should have moved there when my uncle built that house, but I just didn't want to because I had a way that I was used to doing things. And our boss, Mark Clifton, points out all the time that for senior adults especially, man, so much of the world is changing around them right now that it feels like a whirlwind. Everything does. And so there's this one place of stability they have on Sunday morning where their friends are the same, the service is the same, it connects them to the Lord. And so I'm not saying that they're 100% right in that, but I think I think we do have to have some empathy and some understanding that this is a big ask to say, "Hey, we're going to we're going to kind of lay everything at the feet of Jesus and we're going to let him figure out what we get to keep and what needs to change." And and that's not an easy ask of somebody. But how do we how do we get a church to come to that recognition and, and while understanding empathetically the difficulty of what we're asking? Man, I wish I had an answer because then I could write it in a book or do a webinar and be on an island somewhere with my feet in the sand. Man, you can just claim to and probably still sell the <laughs> webinar. <laughs> Good. What in the world have I done wrong with my life? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> leading people to change is so challenging because... You have to take into account the history of the church, the embedded, what I would call the relational or functional DNA of the church, right? So you might be, you might be in a particular church where, you know, three decades ago, they had a pastor who just ran everybody over, right? And he was wrong in the way he led. And so in response, they swung the pendulum the other way where the pastor can't do anything. There's a structural problem there. Well, that's one instance, right? You also have another instance where you might have a, a group of family members who donated the land for the church, who support the church financially, and they determine what happens in there because of the, their you know, generosity that has turned into control, right? So that's an issue that we see. And then Jimbo, here, here's the sad fact. You have people that are part of a church that either because of fear or idolatry in their heart, they just don't want to see the church change and they're okay with it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. In, in another sense, you might have a person who gets bossed around at work all the time and who is a, a person who's not a, a leader in the sense of a manager. Maybe they're a laborer, right? And they're not a, a, an executive. And so at the church, they get to be an executive and they don't know how to write, rightly steward that leadership. And so I've just, I've just given you a, a set of instances that for each one of those things, you have to have a different approach, right? And you have to attack it differently. And so I think one of the, the things that aside from a church being in denial and not being aware of its true condition, 
you really have to, for church to be revitalized, you have to get to the underlying facts. So imagine having, being a pastor like this guy who texted us, he wants to go help a church. He can clearly see because he's been educated about the life cycle of a church and the health of a church. He can clearly see that this church is in trouble. He can look at the trend lines. I mean, he can walk in and, and just go, man, this this smells like a church that needs to be revitalized, right? And so he rolls in there and then he's got he's to figure out which of these things that I just named or which of the ones that I haven't named am I dealing with here? And then what is the path to overcome it? We can say some generic things like, you know, prayer and loving the people and pastoring them and preaching the gospel and praying that God would warm their hearts to the gospel, getting them out on mission and all of those sorts of things. Those are all the right answers. And, and all those still apply in every situation, regardless of what, what your roadblocks are. But the, the strongholds within a church and the personalities within a church and the history and the DNA of a church all play a factor into the practical, logical steps that, that you need to take. And so I think most churches are like most people. They get to a place where they grow to a, a sense of, of uh, ease and equilibrium and comfort, and they don't want that disrupted, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. like if I go to a fast food restaurant and they've changed the menu, like in the number one is no longer the number one, it's like the number seven, I, I'm in a crisis for a moment. I'm like, what, what is happening here, right? <laughs> I, I go into our uh, quick trip, you know, and they've just been remodeling it. So it looks completely different. All right. So Nam, who, I, who we both work for, sends me a thing. You have to change your password. I'm like, I just changed it 60 days ago. Like, like are the Chinese <laughs> trying to hack into my church revitalization account? Like, what? I don't want to change it, right? So, I mean, we're, we just all have this thing about us where we're just like, man, I, I just want stability. And, and then yeah. Yeah. here's the part that I think most church revitalization materials don't account for. Satan uses that natural desire that we have for security and stability, which is supposed to be trusting in Christ and, and what God has done for us. And that's where we find our security. That's where we find our stability. He's our rock. He's our refuge, regardless of what all the craziness is happening around us. Right. Mm -hmm. We turn it, it we, we turn for, uh, we seek those things in, in stuff and in process and in style yeah. and, and all these things. And so I think we, we can't dismiss the fact that church revitalization and replanting is always a spiritual work, first and foremost. Yeah. And too many times I don't hear that in the webinars, you know, and the materials in the books. Or if they say it, it's kind of, we, we said it in an introductory sentence, and now we're moving on to all the strategy, right? So I think if you're looking and, and hoping and, and wanting God to revitalize a church— you have to have a, a strategy that finds its roots in scripture and in the spiritual work of what God does in a person's life more than strategy. Right. Because I think, and, and we've said this before, don't we say this, that culture eats strategy all the time. Don't we say that? Is that what we say? That our strategy. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, culture, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yeah. So um, I, I think the spiritual health of the church will, will, uh, be the most important part of helping the church move forward. I, I so appreciate that you talk about the spiritual aspect of it, because so often when people finally do reach out for help, they reach out on struggles with the symptoms, right? The, we've, we're out of money. We need more young people. 
and they fail to recognize that what's going on is a spiritual problem, not a financial problem. And a spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. And that's why we always point to holy discontent, right? That that more than even a sense of urgency, but a sense of urgency, we believe that a sense of urgency has to come out of a holy discontent because we can be urgent about not being able to pay the bills, but that may lead us to make financial decisions that don't benefit spiritually the kingdom or even the church. And we will we'll be able to squelch that urgency without dealing with things that are spiritual. And the spiritual aspect of it is, is that we are called to evangelize the lost, edify the body, and exalt the glory of God. That's what we're called to do. That's what our church needs to do. And we have to shepherd churches to that point. So spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. And we believe that that spiritual solution is a shepherding solution, that there is some strategy involved and there is some strategic thinking and planning that is helpful in the process. But it has to be a spiritual movement. It has to be a holy discontent. There has to be a conviction of the Holy Spirit to understand we've got to follow what God has called us to follow, leave the harvest in his hands, be obedient to the assignment and the moment at the place that he has given us, and understand that it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be quick, as it, it, and it may never be what it is in our minds, but what we need to do is be faithful to what God's called us to. And so how do you deal with that? Man, it's, it's a hard deal. This is where replanting and revitalization uh, is so drastically different than church planting, right? With church planting, if Bob, if you and I decide we we want to go plant a church in Colorado because we like the mountains, well, we can just go pick a, a neighborhood and start start the process immediately. But if you feel called to uh, revitalization or replanting, man, there's so much of a dependency on the Holy Spirit and the Lord to provide that opportunity. We have to wait. We have to. We have to wait for God to open that right door. And the best thing we can do is spend some time in prayer, work with local associations and their local associations like ours and so many others that I know of in state conventions that are working with churches to help them come to that point of holy discontent. But it's not a quick, easy process, even that. And that doesn't guarantee success but that has to be the piece is we have to care more about the purpose that God has given us than our preferences. And that, I mean, that's easy to say and it's alliterated and it sounds quippy and it tweets well, but that is a hard reality to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the pastor has to lead his people to understand who they are in Christ. He has to lead them to understand the mission of the church and he has to lead them to understand the power of Christ to accomplish that mission, right? So that takes time. And if it were a program and if it were, you know, uh, just three steps to, you know, achieving and breaking the 200 barrier, then all of us would be doing that, right? But there's a lot more involved in that. And, and this is the thing is like I was talking with um, one of my church members and he's a really, really sharp guy. He has a. Uh, his family has a pool business and he has, um, uh, he, he's been buying and selling gyms in, in Santa Fe centers. And he, he, we were talking about the church and we were talking about the challenges that, um, the church faces in particular our church. And he said, you know, he said, I, I, he goes, in essence, he said this, he said, you've got a whole lot more difficult job than I do. Right. 
because I can just tell people what to do and they do it. And I was like, you're exactly right, right? You have the power of the paycheck. <laughs> I don't have that power. I have the power of influence and relationship and I have to point them to Jesus. And, you know, every level of every relationship has levels of complexity and challenge to it. And so one of the things I think is imperative, and you mentioned this, is we got to take the, the role of a pastor and be among the people and proclaim the gospel, promote the vision, and continually do that over and over and over again. And as we're doing that, be dependent upon God to make it happen. And so I, I think I would just want to encourage guys, man, if, if God has given you a vision, get with the people, talk about it, pray together with them about it, move towards it as best you can, and just wait and see where God's working and run with that. And that's your strategy. And if, if uh, the Lord is gracious and he moves and people respond in obedience, then, you know, celebrate. Praise God. Hey, guys, we're so glad that you joined us for episode 99. We are so excited coming up episode 100. And we are excited to see what God does even from there. We'd love to see you in person at the Replant Summit at the end of this month in Atlanta. We'd love to hear from you, hear your questions and your concerns, just like the one we got on the bat phone today. So in the meantime, get out there, keep at it, trust the Lord and be obedient and faithful. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.